There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Well, hello, and welcome to another thrilling episode of the Paranoia Podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. I am the publisher of the world-renowned Paranoia Magazine. And I'm Ron Patton, editor-in-chief of Paranoia Magazine. Glad to be with you. Yes, Ron Patton, international superstar. Hey, it's true, though. So, you know, don't make fun of me. I will make fun of you just because I can. Well, okay, tonight I guess it's okay. Because we have a really interesting topic, and I think it's something that people want to hear about. Yes. So tonight's topic is Operation Gladio. Uh, now, Ron, so before we get down and dirty into the Operation Gladio thing, what do you know about Gladio? Well, I know that it was uh, some sort of uh, paramilitary group that started in the uh, 50s, I believe, in Italy. And uh, it was supposed to be some sort of clandestine type of uh, group that was to infiltrate other types of groups and also cause a lot of uh, havoc and I guess what they refer to as a strategy of tension as well as uh, false flag types of terrorism. And uh, from my understanding, uh, this group was uh, primarily based out of Italy and then around uh, 1990, they supposedly were disbanded but uh, I don't know if that's really true. Seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of things going on uh, in Europe, you know, over the past I don't know ten to twenty years that have a lot of the uh, markings of uh, Gladio Steel. So yeah, I mean you got it pretty much right. So let me paint a picture for you. A pretty picture. A very disturbing pretty picture that's not really pretty it's mm -hmm. actually kind of scary and freaky right okay so it's it's the end of world war ii mm -hmm. the nazis are losing real bad right they've they've gotten to a point where they're hit they're sending the hitler youth out with with uh three bullets to go shoot the allies hmm. okay i mean it's bad <clears throat> they know they're losing super bad the german hierarchy understands at this point that they're pretty much going to lose. So they're starting to establish the rat lines, right? This is the Odessa thing where Otto Skorzeny had constructed these paths to get um, Nazi leadership and gold out of money, jewels, art, out of Germany, so to kind of perpetuate the Fourth Reich. This is where you get it. to the notions that the they went to Argentina. Otto Scorzani shows up in Argentina. He's Juan Perón's head of the secret police. You've got the decade of disappearances. You've got, you know, uh, random street killings. Mm -hmm. All this oh. kind of stuff. So as as the war was ending, uh, Scorzani constructed this. So Otto Scorzani is tasked with creating something called the werewolves. And the werewolves were basically like super fascists. These, these guys were like ultra party members. I mean, these guys bought into the Nazi ideology backwards and forwards and sideways. And they were constructed to um, 
stay behind and just cause problems, right? Blow stuff up, be dicks, whatever right. they could do to hamper our ability to occupy Europe. Okay. I see. So at so at the same time, you have Reinhard Galen is building out his. Well, he's not building; he had already built it, but he's he's kind of positioning the Abbeyware, the the intelligence operation of Nazi Germany to provide Soviet intelligence to us, to the Allies, because we don't trust the Russians. We never trusted the Soviets. We always saw them as a problem. Okay. So Galen had built this. He he had he had built up this this uh, organization, and he was kind of pitching it to guys like Dulles and others to serve as like the the kind of contract intelligence service in Europe. Well, it turns out that in post-war Europe, if there was one thing that that the Nazis hated, it was communists. And there's always been a very tenuous relationship with communists in Europe, that they've never really um, been very well accepted. You know, in Italy, there were times at various points in history where they would round communists up and shoot them, or they'd put them in prison for being communists, whatever. They really didn't like them. Right. So we, as the Allies, have this really bright idea. So we approach the werewolves. I forget exactly how, but we approach the werewolves and say, look, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You don't like us. We don't like you, but we don't like the Soviets more. Right. So why don't we team up, right? Kind of an ass backwards kind of thought, but why don't we team up? Mm -hmm. And the idea was, is that they subsumed the werewolves in, and they use that as the kind of, con kind of initial construction point for, what it what is now called Operation Gladio. Basically they're a private NATO paramilitary force that's effectively off the books. They are trained, they were trained. Um, they were trained by elements of NATO. Americans train them, British train them, Italians, French, Belgians, Germans, everybody trained them. They were equipped they were given guns, they were given ammunition, they were given radio equipment, gold, whatever they needed. And the idea was, is that if we got into a full-scale conflict with the Soviet Union, right, then these guys would stay be their leave-behinds. They would stay behind as the, the front passed them. Right. And they would do what they had originally been tasked to do as werewolves, to, to go and disrupt... Soviet communications to blow up uh, supply convoys, etc., etc. So mm -hmm. we're training them. They exist. They even have a logo. I mean, I think it's hilarious that as humans, like we have logos for everything. Mm -hmm. So there's actually like a Gladio logo that like partially incorporates the NATO symbol. It's pretty funny. Not funny. Not funny. Haha. But kind kind of funny. Scary. Right. What does it say at the bottom of the logo? You know. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't it's, remember. It's like Salendo Libertarium Servo. So in, oh. in silence and liberty we serve or something like that. Uh, it's Salendo Libertarium Servo. In silence I serve liberty. Gotcha. Okay, I was close. You were very close, Ron. Yeah. All right, so time goes on, right? And, you know, I think... I think a lot of times these guys would kind of get agitated and, and want to build up the Fourth Reich and want to build up fascist utopias, but they were kind of like, no, it's not, it's not the time. <clears throat> you have to leave it alone. We'll get there. We'll have your fascist utopia, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, they started to get upset because what they really wanted to do was kill communists. They had always wanted to kill communists. And so they they started to carry out through the 70s and the 80s something that was called um, the strategy of tension. Mm -hmm. And basically, the idea was is that they would do things and that would create tension in the population. And creating tension in the population 
had the direct causal effect of the population wanting the government to step in to have more control, which is very fascist, right? Immigration in Europe with all the mass immigration in France and in some of the other countries, it seems like that stirred up a lot of national nationalistic fervor. It has now. Yes. Yes. Sorry. It has now, you know, that that mm-hmm. I think you're starting. I don't know that that's necessarily a gladio thing. I think it's just, you know, that there was a, a maturation at some level mm-hmm. where, you know, people that we call terrorists, they started to, to undertake what's called the strategy of terror, which is similar to the strategy of tension, only the strategy of tension was more kind of subversive. The strategy of terror is, is more straight up. You know, we're going to scare you into into letting us defeat you. The mm-hmm. idea behind the strategy attention, I don't think, was ever to, to defeat anybody. It was to drive the population toward wanting a police state. Got it. So there are examples of this, right? That, that you know, Gladio carried out a number of operations uh, over time. There's a really great um, documentary made by Time Watch on the BBC where they talk about Gladio. It's a three-part series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, uh, the Italian branch is called Gladio. Um, other other uh, groups within Gladio had different names, but it's just kind of called Gladio because the, the trigger point of how people found out about it came out of Italy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've just kind of taken on that moniker. Um, and And... The reason that it's called Gladio in Italy is because their symbol was the gladius, which is the sword of the gladiator. And they were actually called gladiators. Mm-hmm. So they had this whole like Roman mythology thing going on. So so they start carrying out these operations and you know, they they there was a train station in Bologna in Italy in the, the late I wanna say it was the late seventies that they they blew up, they set off a couple of explosives and blew up a bunch of people. Explosives, by the way, supplied by NATO. So we supplied them the explosives, we being NATO, supplied them the explosives that they used to blow up a train station. And then mm-hmm. they would they would blame this stuff on communist groups, Black October, you know, Batter Meinhof, or uh, um, Red Brigade, so they would go out and, and kill a bunch of people, and then they would blame it on the communists. So and that's I, that's your false flag, right? Gotcha. Now, <clears throat> eventually they started to get more agitated, and they, they started to realize that things weren't going their way. So they started to act out more and more. And there was a guy named Vincenzo Vinicaguera, and he, he was part of a gladio cell. And what he did is he, the Carbonieri um, <clears throat> are the national police for Italy. And so he wanted to send a message to the Italian government. So he took a, I think he took a Fiat, uh, like a 500 series Fiat, and he mm-hmm. pulled it over on the side of the road and wired it with explosives and shot it full of holes. Then he called the local Carbonieri station and he said, hey, there's been, I want to say he's, he claimed there was a mob hit. And so the Carbonieri, of course, respond, and they send a couple Land Rovers out there filled with Carbonieri guys. They pull up on this this shot-up car, and they blew it up, and he blew up the Carbonieri guys. Well, obviously, this hmm. this severely pissed off the Italian government, and yeah. so they, they arrested him as a terrorist. Right. So to save his own ass, Vinica Guerra laid out the entire program, right, and the, the ideology of it, everything. So the, uh, the prime minister of Italy at the time, Andri- Andriotti, uh, came out and said, yes, we now know that there's this paramilitary organization. It's, it's off the books. They've been carrying out these operations. You know, and and the, it started to spread like wildfire. If I remember uh, one, of the, one of the documentaries that I saw... <clears throat> They had an interview with the um, the Minister of Defense in Italy, and once he had found out about it, 
He called the Minister of Defense in France and in Belgium and in a couple other places, and he said, hey, I've got bad news for you. <coughs> We've discovered this thing called Gladio. And they said, oh, no, 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 not here, not here. And then they started to look around. They said, oh, my God, we have them too. And one of the interesting stories that I heard in relation to this uh, was about this guy who was a, a Belgian para, he was a paracommando, like a paratrooper. Mm -hmm. Right. And he had left the service, and the, the paratroopers in Belgium are, are an elite operation. And to tell you how this works, right, he had left the service, and he was like the manager of a bank. And one day he gets a phone call from his former commander, and uh, he's, the former commander says, hey, Bob, I need a favor. And, the, and uh, the, the bank the bank manager says, okay, gee, Jim, what do you need? And, and the commander says, well, I need you to go to First Street and pick these two guys up. They're going to test, they're going to penetration test a gendarmerie, they're like the National Police in Belgium, a gendarmerie facility, this main base. They're going to try to penetrate it and to make sure there's it's secure. Right. And mm -hmm. so the guy says, okay, well, you know, you were my commander in the Belgian paracommando. <clears throat> I'm going to do this for you because, you know, I, my allegiance is to you. Right. So he goes, picks these two guys up or right before, right before he picked them up, he got another phone call and it said, well, the, the whole thing is off. They're scrubbing it. But he was, he was about to go pick these guys up. So he goes and picks these guys up and these two guys are, we're like, no, 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 everything's fine, everything's fine. We're going to go through with the operation. So he says, all right. So he drops them off wherever they wanted to be dropped off outside of this base, and then he left, right, because it's not his operation. You know, it's just he was asked to drive some guys from point A to point B. He did that. So he drops them off. He finds out later that they snuck through the wire. They mm -hmm. they raided they raided the this gendarmerie base. They raided the um, the armory stole like half the guns in there they threw a hand grenade into the into the commandant's office and blew it up right and then they left and so you know obviously he was quite upset so he calls his his former commander up and says hey what's going on he's like no no don't worry about it don't worry about it just just go with the flow so like two weeks later a couple guys well actually i think there were like four or five guys in body armor and fatigues go into a go into a grocery store right and they just start opening fire it's not like they're there to take hostages or they're there to to rob it they just started indiscriminately shooting mm -hmm. okay so they, they kill a bunch of people and then they they vanish and that's one of the hallmarks of gladio is that there was some complicity within nato so as some of these operations were carried out the people just vanished they were never caught Okay, mm -hmm. but when they looked at the, when they looked at the um, the bullets and they looked at the junk left over from the, the firefight that had ensued, they realized that that the ammunition was military ammunition, that had been pilfered from the gendarmerie base, and by the way, these guys apparently like knifed a couple of the guards, they shot a couple people, and then they left. Well, anyway, so they they do this, and and then lo and behold, oh, the commies did it. Right. So all through this, all through the seventies and the eighties, this happens until ninety when Vinica Guerra gets caught. You know, now the ministers of defense in in all of Europe pretty much are talking to each other, saying, "Oh my God, what have we done? What is mm -hmm. this?" And they start shutting it down. So at that point, you know, there these were clandestine operations to begin with. Whether they actually were fully shut down or not, nobody knows. But ostensibly, they were shut down, and NATO ended the program. So about, I want to say it was about 10 years ago, there was an event in Turkey where a group called the Naragon, now I may be getting the pronunciation right, so listeners, I'm sorry, but there was a group in it called the Naragon, which was a very right extremist organization, nationalist organization in Turkey, that attempted to carry out a coup d'etat in Turkey, like 10 years ago. I mean, this is not... 1970 this is like 2000 right mm -hmm. they attempted to carry out a coup d'etat they failed and so the government rounded up all the conspirators 
And it turns out that it was like members of their equivalent of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, politicians, rich people, you know, government functionaries, all had contributed, were members of this operation called an Aragon that was Gladio-ish, and they had attempted to overthrow Turkey to install a fascist state. Mm-hmm. Now, a few years ago, another person came out. This person claimed had worked at the FBI and claimed that she had seen uh, documentation of something called Gladio B. And Gladio B, some people call Gladio 2.0, but it's not really. It's just the same kind of model, just redone. But <clears throat> Gladio B was the same idea, but instead of using communists as the cover, they used, who do they use? Islamic extremists. There you go. That, the new uh, monster, the new boogeyman. That's right. So, again, you know, there was, there was an intimation that some of these operations were carried out by covert cells. Because you, one thing you have to understand about Gladio and, and these kind of clandestine paramilitary organizations is that everything is a cell, right? So mm -hmm. the idea that you can take down an entire organization, you know, it, it's kind of it's not really realistic because they function in small cells. So mm -hmm. a cell can get caught, but it doesn't expose a large organization. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, you know, the, the Galen organization is getting their foothold, you know, into the CIA and MI6 and, you know, a lot of these intelligence services providing intelligence to the, to NATO about the Soviets. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, you have this leave behind operation that's that's formulating the strategy attention, trying to push us toward a police state. The same time Alan Dulles is is working with Galen and and actual Nazi intelligence operatives that are that have penetrated the Soviet Union and are feeding us back mixed information. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But the one thing that it all was was designed to boost the perceived effectiveness of Galen's operation. Mm. Yeah, so when so when you look at the end of World War II, you start to realize that the Nazis never went anywhere. All we did was pay them. Right, right. Yeah, and some of them came in the United States and were very instrumental in setting up a lot of the Department of Defense projects as well. That's right, and you had talked about that in, Mon in the uh, Operation Monarch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did uh, Operation Gladio officially start in Europe? And I guess my other question would be, why was there so much presence in Italy of Operation Gladio? I mean, why not in Belgium where they have the NATO headquarters? Well, supposedly it was founded under under a uh, the Minister of Defense in Italy named Paolo okay. Taviani, gotcha. uh, his supervision, at least the Italian branch, mm -hmm. in, in 1953. But they had already started to formulate it before 53. That's when it supposedly came into being. It was around 1953, 1955, something like that. Gotcha. The, one of the reasons that it was uh, very strong in Italy is for a couple of reasons. One is that the Italians were fascists in World War Two. That's true. And they they were you know there was a there was a kind of a purging after World War Two, where mm -hmm. they they went through like the French did and and hung people from you know street signs that and put fascists on their chests whatever. But you know Mussolini was in power for quite a period of time, so they there were a lot of fascists left over from World War Two. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you needed a kind of concentration of fascists to find fascists who'd be willing to do this kind of thing. Right. So they just laid low for a little while and then uh, took advantage of a situation once NATO began. Right. And and then, you know, they, they existed in Belgium, France. I mean, they existed in most of the aligned countries. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these countries, Norway, France, Belgium... They had all been occupied and taken over by fascist elements. I mean, in France, you had the Vichy government, right? 
And and again, there was a purging in France. You know, they went through and they hung people who were part of the Vichy. You know, you have the Quisling in Norway. You know, it, I mean, Quisling, Quisling's so bad that, that, I mean, it's actually a term. If you say somebody's a Quisling, it means that they're a traitor. Well, mm-hmm. Quisling was a Norwegian who had set up, who was instrumental in the occupation of Norway by the Germans. So a lot of these, um, a lot of these countries, you know, in Spain, you had Franco, you know, in fact, in, in the Spanish Civil War, you know, you had the Condor legions that came over from Germany to fight. So in a lot of these areas, you had these concentrations of fascists because there had been fascist uh, governments. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really where it comes from. Now, there is an interesting idea about Gladio. Okay. Please share. Okay. So one of my favorite subjects is a secret space program. You know this. Mm-hmm. And one of these days I'll do a podcast on it. And it, and for that podcast, it'll be like when you did Monarch. You'll pretty much there'll pretty much be silence on the on the Ron end of the phone and it'll be me just <laughs> wax waxing poetic. Gotcha. Oh, by the way, before I get to this, there's one thing I forgot to mention. So do watch the Time Watch um, documentary. It's actually fascinating because all throughout it, they have this they have this one guy that they're interviewing in prison, and and it's not Vinnie Caguera. It's actually one of the founders of Red Brigade, which was one of the communist uh, communist operations. And and toward the toward the end of the documentary, the guy says, you know. When I founded Red Brigade with this guy and this guy and that guy, you know, we were students, we were politicized. And, you know, it looks like he's just sitting in a room, right? Mm-hmm. And he's wearing nice clothes. And he says, well, you know, we were we were students. We really didn't know any better. We were fools. You know, we were we had bought into communist ideology. We were trying to spread, you know, communism. We were trying to teach people that communism was good, whatever, yada, yada. He goes, but, you know... When I was in Red Brigade, and I'm watching this stuff happen, and Red Brigade is is taking responsibility for it, he said, I just kept thinking to myself, my God, how did we do that? How did we achieve this? How did we make this happen? It's like, we were stupid. We were students. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, carrying out these military operations. He's like, "I, I don't know how it happened. He said, I'm in prison because of this stuff. And then it pans back, and he's like, it's a prison conference room. And he's still in prison mm-hmm. for these Red Brigade operations that, that he, you know, he went to prison for it. Right. Now, did he do it or did he not do it? I'm not going to have that debate because he was tried and convicted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from his point of view, he he literally, like, could not understand how they had achieved so much until Vinica Guerra was like, oh, you guys over there, you commies, you didn't do it. I did it because I'm a super fascist. Right. As a super fascist, I did what you couldn't do as a communist, and then I blamed it on you. There you go. Exactly. So, he had to go, and he you know, had to tell it like it is, right? Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing is that when Vinica Guerra got caught, he was caught part of a group, I think it was like, Novus Ordum, New Order. Mm-hmm. When he got caught, he he just sang. When you watch the documentaries and read about Gladio, you read the uh, Gensler's book about Gladio. I mean, Vinica Guerra is all over it. I mean, this guy laid out the entire program, and mm-hmm. it's really bizarre to watch him in these interviews because you know he's very proud of it. I mean, you can tell, you can see it in his body that he's proud of it. And he's like some sort of like fascist gladio philosopher. He he sits there and, and he's like, we formulated the strategy of tension. And he's talking about like it's a really, it's some sort of like a philo- philosophical movement. Like he's Plato, you know, reading the poetics to you. I mean, it's it's insane to actually watch this guy. It, it is, it's, it's utterly fascinating to watch. You know, it kind of reminds me of, that uh, Norway shooter, that guy Anders Breivik, I guess he was a like a right wing extremist in Norway, and a few years ago he uh, 
had bombs someplace in Olso and then went out and shot up a bunch of people. Um, are there any uh, indications that that was uh, was he gladio trained or what's your thoughts on uh, Anders Breivik, the Norwegian guy? <coughs> so it's it's not a gladio operation because he straight up said he did it. Right. Um, he was part of a ultra ultra fascist right wing nationalist organization. Uh-huh. He was obviously trained in some capacity. Right. And the the action that he carried out was very well orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Now, what he had done is he had set off a bomb in Oslo. Right. And then he calmly drove up to a summer camp that was on an island. Mm-hmm. And he got out of the car, dressed like a policeman, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he went across in a boat. He got up on the beach and he said, I'm a policeman. He turned on his headphones. He had a Walkman or something. And he turned on his headphones and then he just walked around shooting people. And the reason that the location that he did it was important is that that island was a, it was kind of like a summer camp for the Socialist Party. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so he was was shooting socialists. And Mm -hmm. socialists, well, he was shooting the children of of socialist party members and and socialists uh, to to nationalist socialists, straight socialists are are just a step above communists. I suspect. Gotcha. Now, what's interesting is that on the along the water, the people that live there were watching it happen. Mm-hmm. So they heard the firing because he had an automatic weapon, mm-hmm. and they they could see it and so they were standing out there uh with binoculars watching him shoot people i mean there were people trying to swim away in the water and he was shooting them and he was just nonchalantly just shooting people and so they keep calling the police and like you've got to come stop this guy this nutball is is out there killing killing people you've got to stop him this dude's gone insane right which he wasn't he knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. and and so the police had to drive up from Oslo, got caught in traffic. The SWAT van was caught in traffic. They couldn't take the helicopter because it was otherwise being used. So, so the SWAT van is driving to this assassination site in traffic, mm. trying to stop this guy. Finally, they get there, and when he saw them pull up, he dropped his assault rifle, took his headphones off, put his hands in the air, and said, I surrender. Interesting. Now, the reason why is because I think Breivik saw himself as a kind of martyr. In a lot of ways, I think he wanted to be like Vinicaguera was. I see. Okay. Because if you see what he did next, what does he do? He's you know he's being tried, and he reads his reads a manifesto, and the manifesto is straight Nazi ideology. It's got a lot of things about. <laughs> immigration and people who aren't white and a lot of the really icky nasty stuff that that you would expect from a from a nazi yeah and he's and he's he's reading his manifesto he's answering these questions saying you know there are more of us i'm part of the new templar movement there's more of us oh that's right he was a freemason as he was a freemason and a and a nouveau templar right right and he had pictures of himself in some sort of regalia. It was not Masonic. It was different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and he had pictures of himself in a wetsuit with an assault rifle. He had pictures of himself in hazmat gear. You know, so he he was very much, I think, trying to do what Vinica Guerra did, which is when Vinica Guerra got caught, Vinica mm-hmm. Guerra used it as a podium to stand up and say, this is my ideology. You guys should all be doing what I'm doing. I think Brevik did the same thing. Now, Brevik and Vinikaguera ended up in the same place in prison, but it, but it's still, I think they both, once they got caught, knew they were going to get caught, they, they sought out to be these, these philosophical martyrs. You know, I think Vinikaguera comes across better as a, as a philosophical martyr, but he's, what he's saying is still very dark and disturbing. Yes. I think Brevik comes across as a bit more amateurish, mm-hmm. but he still—that's what he—that was his objective. 
and whoever his handlers were that that helped him to plan this because he sure didn't do it you know that i think that was their objective was to to further their ideology to use Brevik's sentencing as a mechanism to spread the word, so to speak, and to, and so that maybe somebody sitting at home watching TV goes, "Oh, these guys are right." You know, I, I sure hope not, but you know, I think that was their methodology. Yeah, it was a travesty that he only got twenty-one years. Why so lenient of a sentence? I wonder. I, you know, you always have to wonder with this kind of stuff. <laughs> And, and there, especially around Gladio, there there are questions that, that remain back from the 90s. And there, there are questions that are unanswered. And there are questions that, that probably should remain unanswered. Because if you went up the food chain all the way up to figure out who all was involved in these things, you know, you're, you may find complicity in places you really don't want to. So for the betterment of society, you know, it's probably better that that some of these things were never figured out. Because, I mean, you you know, there are ties to the Vatican. There's ties everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's the whole propaganda due thing. And, oh, yeah, P2, Freemason. Yeah. yeah, P2 and, and, and Banco Ambrosiano and a lot of things that went down about the Vatican Bank. So, you know, it's it's a very, you know, if it, it is very much like, like Hydra, that they, you know, you've got these tentacles spreading out everywhere and it has multiple heads and you can't just cut them off. Mm-hmm. But Brevik certainly belonged to a, an ultra-nationalist organization. Right. What he was saying is consistent with the Gladio ideology mm-hmm. because Gladio isn't an ideology. Gladio was a project. You know, the ideology is about these terrorist cells that existed within Gladio. I see. Now, back... Wow, when was it? I think it was the fall of 2012. You actually wrote an article in Paranoia Magazine called uh, Operation Gladio 2.0, didn't you? No, I wrote I uh, I did not write that. That was Victor Thorne. And he, oh. I, I think that he was actually addressing Gladio B. That was that idea that that there, there was a second attempt at a Gladio superstructure and that they were using islamic extremists as the gotcha. scapegoat so to speak okay so what what's the the main difference i guess between the information that you put out on gladio and victor thorne's uh operation gladio 2.0 well i think more i'm i'm more interested in the gladio of the 1990s gotcha because we know the dynamics of it we know uh-huh. who was involved in it. We know what they did, how they did it. And a lot of it because of Inica Guerra, we know why they did it, mm-hmm. the philosophy behind it. You know, so I'm I'm interested in the historic value of it. I see. Venturing into Gladio B is a very a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Because there are there are fundamentalists out there, whether they're Muslims or not. Mm-hmm. There are fundamentalists out there that do all kinds of bad things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is more of an active thing. Yes. I'm, myself, I'm more interested in, in the historic value. Right. So do you think uh, Gladio is still sort of, in part, doing certain things in Europe and disrupting and causing this, uh, you know, tension of strategy still? I mean, we had those attacks in uh, France not too long ago, and then also in Belgium, and it seemed like uh, it was very similar to what Gladio has done in the past. So what's your take on those uh, events that occurred recently? I think Gladio is an operational directive. Mm -hmm. I think they shut it down. I mean, NATO claims that they did, and I think they fully did. Mm -hmm. I think that in the world there will always be people of an extremist ideology. Yeah. As, as you know, there are Christian extremists. Mm-hmm. There are Hindu extremists. There are Muslim extremists. There are Jewish extremists. There are <clears throat> extremists of every color and nationality and political persuasion, communist extremists, socialist extremists. I think what Gladio did is that it exposed this notion of the strategy of tension. 
mm-hmm. this idea that you could create tension within the populace that would push them towards some sort of a political agenda. Yes. And so I think I think various extremist groups around the world uh, took up that notion and decided to embrace the strategy of tension. So I don't think it's Gladio per se. I don't mm-hmm. think that it's like a NATO authorized leave behind group that's trained and, you know, maybe, but I, I, I would venture a guess that, that you, you have a lot of different terrorist cells that like the idea and try mm-hmm. to do things to destabilize. I see. Okay. So, you know, and, 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 you know, who finances them and, you know, where the money comes from, where the guns come from, where the training comes from, I have no idea. But, you know, it, I, the, the difference about Gladio is that Gladio was organized. It, mm-hmm. was, it was authorized. I mean, it was a straight-up NATO operation. In conjunction with the CIA, though, too, right? Correct. Okay. I mean, they were trained... They were trained by the CIA. Paramil- There's a, a group within the CIA that is a paramilitary branch of the CIA. Mm-hmm. right? There's like a private army within the CIA. It's like yeah. the CIA army, right? Got it. Those guys train them in, ex- in demolitions. They train them you know, in assault. They train them in interrogation. They train, MI6 train them mm-hmm. you know, in, in espionage and, and counterintelligence surveillance. They were trained by organizations of governments mm-hmm. in Gladio. Right. I don't think they are any longer. It, it would be too politically dangerous for, for NATO to do something like that again. Got it. But what's interesting is that the source of it is ultimately the werewolves, that the guys that initially were approached and the structure is right up Otto Scorzani's alley. I mean, he... He created the werewolves, and then he took off and went and became the head of the secret police. Right. So a lot of those werewolves, or new werewolves, I guess, right, could be contracted by other countries, right? Sort of for the highest bidder. Yeah, but you have to remember is that in the case of Gladio, a lot of it was was political ideology. Right. And you so that's what kind of sets it apart from ISIS, which is more. I think, you know, more has to do with, uh, you know, monetary gain instead of uh, political ideology, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, ISIS, you know, they, they, they roll into town, they knock over the bank, take the money, and use that to finance yeah. what they're doing. I yeah. Mean, they have a CFO. I mean, that just, yeah. that's all you need to know. They have a chief right. financial officer. Yeah. You know, and, and, and what's the first thing they try to do? They try to set up... Uh, oil runs where they're running tankers with you know from these petrochemical facilities and these pumping stations that they control these terminals mm-hmm. you know they're trying to get the oil out to make more money gotcha you know so yeah i mean it's it's not it it's it's covered in ideology but really you know it it is the strategy of tension and terror mm-hmm. which strategy of terror is more of like an upgraded version of the strategy of tension but you know, you can't, you can't buy ideology. You have it or you don't. I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't, you know, in a Rhodesia, right, when they're having the wars down mm-hmm. there in, in the southern part of Africa, when you had Rhodesia, you know, they were hiring mercenaries, right? The mercenaries had no, no care of the, the ideology of it or the politics of it. You know, you paid them $5,000 and they'd go blow up, you know, blow up a building it's not about ideology gladio very much was about ideology these the nato military planners were convinced we were going to fight the soviets they believed that they were going to lose large portions of western europe (coughs) to a soviet advance and it made it actually makes a lot of sense to have people that are left behind behind enemy lines they're kind of resistance fighters, so to speak, that that would disrupt communications, disrupt supply lines, weaken the structure of the invading army. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that makes a lot of tactical sense. The problem was is that they, they selected to use people whose ideology was very specific. And okay. that's what Gladio was born. 
Gotcha. So did uh, was Gladio involved in like infiltrating different groups, kind of like something similar to what the uh, FBI did with COINTELPRO in the United States, you like know, communist groups or whatever went in Europe? Not, not that I'm aware of. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that I'm not aware of it. But I think a lot of it was more clean than that. That they would just go out and do something as a cell and then just blame the communists. Right. Because, I mean, if you're Red Brigade, right, you have two choices. You know, supposedly you did this. You know, you can take responsibility for it or say, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like, remember when they had the um, the train bombing in Madrid? Yeah. There's a, there's a group called ETA, and ETA is a Basque separatist organization, and they they have been fighting for decades with the Spaniards and the, the French and everybody about this Basque region. Mm-hmm. And when the bombing happened, Etta was like, we didn't do it. Don't blame us. We didn't do it. Somebody mm-hmm. else did it. And then of course, you know, you, you watch the corporatized media and they're like, Oh, Etta is part of, you know, I actually heard this on the BBC. Etta is part of Al Qaeda. Oh. No, Etta is not part of Al-Qaeda. Etta is not Muslim. Etta is, is a Basque separatist organization. And Etta was like, we don't want to take responsibility for this. We had no part of it. We didn't want to do it, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when something like that happens, you have a choice. <clears throat> you know, if you're Red Brigade, you can take responsibility for it. Or if somebody takes responsibility for it on your behalf, you know, you can come out and say, well, I didn't do it. Or you can say, well, I did do it and take the credit for it. And I, I think they kind of sat by silently, probably somewhat confused, saying, well, who authorized this? Who made this happen? And, you know, they just didn't do anything. And that, that kind of, they were kind of convicted in absentia. Gotcha. So what are the, the better sources, whether they're books or articles, uh, on Operation Gladio? Well, like I said, there's the Time Watch documentary, which right. is really good because you actually get to see interviews with Vincenzo Vinicaguerra. You really get, a, you really get a, a kind of insight into a Gladio cell. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting because, you know, you have a lot of the people who are involved, like uh, Gerardo... Uh, Sarah Villa, who was, who was part of it. He was the, uh, one of the coordinators, you know, there's an interview with him. There's interviews with other members. There were interviews with CIA guys who, who had been involved in it. So, you know, Time Watch, they, they really went in deep for it and they really like exposed the infrastructure. You know, the, the story I told you about the Belgian paracommando, they yeah. interviewed that guy and he's sitting there explaining to you how he picked these two guys up and they took him there and nobody is talking and not asking any questions because that's not what you do and you know so you know it gives you a really good insight and there's a, there's a book uh, by a guy named Daniel Gensler um, he had done his PhD dissertation on Gladio and it's called Gladio and the, and the Aligned Nations mm-hmm. and it's it's a fantastic book it's a little expensive but if you're really interested in Gladio you know, he, he did a tremendous amount of research on it, and then he stopped. Hmm. He so is that the Swiss historian? He is. He's a Swiss historian. Right, right. Yeah, I want to say he was at the University of, of uh, Geneva. I see. So wh- why do you think he no longer was involved in uh, you know looking deeper into it? You think he was told not to, or...? Probably. Yeah. It's a, <clears throat> it's a, it's a very uh, pervasive thing. And I, I think mm-hmm. that it's, you know, I, me personally, I'm only interested in the history of it, mm-hmm. but you know, he, he was actively digging and I think that it's one of those things that probably is best left undug. Gotcha. Yeah. Now yeah. there's one thing I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. So the whole secret space program, right? So, you know, I'm a huge secret space program guy. Yes, I do. <clears throat> so one of the things that I I started to think about was that there's this myth that exists within conspiracy theory about the, the reducing the population to 500 million. And 
there's a whole thing about Agenda 21 and yeah. spiking the water and killing the population and whatever to get it down to 500 million. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, if you look at the secret space program and you align it to the notion of alternative three, right, which is my big thing, mm-hmm. when the elites leave and, and enact the, the third alternative to leave to go to Mars by way of the moon, it leaves behind a rather large population of people here on Earth. And I think that it's I think that it's effectively unreasonable to assume that you can kill six billion people. So there's what about six and a half billion? Correct. I, I don't think it's reasonable to, to think that you can kill six hundred billion people. I mean just the number of bodies that would exist would make large portions of the earth uninhabitable for very long periods of time. So I, I think what it is is that after whatever happens, happens, they expect the population to be about 500 million because that's what they've determined. And I think that 500 million number is applied to the West, right? So in the, in the Western countries, whether it's in Canada or America, you know, or it's in what's considered the West, or it's England or, you know, Scotland, Ireland, France, Germany, Spain, you know, Belgium, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, whatever, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, Italy. Um, I, I think that the idea is is that they want to stabilize the population at 500 million in the West, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and use the third world, which would be mostly unaffected by an ice age, which, you know, in, in alternative three, the big claim is that we'll go into an ice age. This is the reverse Venus syndrome that once you take the Venus syndrome as far as you can, the Venus syndrome being something I stole from X-Files that does exist, <laughs> by the way. It's, it's part of the sixth extinction. But the, this idea that there's an ecological collapse, one of the flip sides to that is that it can plunge you into an ice age. Okay. If that doesn't in, indeed occur, places like sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Asia, you know, South America, parts of Central America, these places will be unimpacted by ice flow. Mm-hmm. And what I've always believed is that those areas will become, for lack of a better term, like hive industrial sites where a lot of industrial manufacturing and manufacturing in general will be done in those places because it's, it's cheap and mm-hmm. you use forced labor. Right. So I don't think the 500 million applies to those areas. I think it applies to the West. And in the West, already today, there's massive population loss. That, you know, the, the number of children per capita per couple has decreased dramatically in the last 20 years. And right. there, there is net population decline in most of the Western countries, including mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah, that's why there seems like they're shutting down a lot of elementary schools and high schools right they don't have the population to support it so but one of the things that you need whether you're in the west or you're in the east or you're wherever you are as things go badly right you still need to keep control of the population because as i said you can't just eradicate six billion people Mm -hmm. it's just not feasible i mean how would you do it Right, you're going to spread a virus. Well, a virus will kill 50%. Okay, now you're down to th- 3 billion. You know, it's just not it's not reasonable to think that you can just off 6 billion. Well, I mean, it all depends upon what the time frame is, too. It can sure. be done, but if you want to do it fairly quickly, then uh it it's sort of unrealistic, I would but, say. But I would I would argue that the time frame required to kill 6 billion people to fully enact an Agenda 21 style population mm-hmm. control system would take decades. Yes. And and while it's happening, people are going to look around and go, well, that's not good, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to have problems. So what I've, what I've theorized for some time is that Gladio, these fascist elements, these fascist cells, when that time comes, these fascist cells will rise up all over the world because they've been planted where they need to be. 
mm-hmm. right? Because you simply sell, tell fascist cell number two, okay, you guys need to go over here to, to Uruguay for a while. And when we're ready to activate you, we'll give you a phone call. We'll send you a message on a number station, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that, that those fascist cells will become activated at some point to serve as the world police force as we descend into whatever ecological collapse that we're facing. So they, they, they will always exist because there's extremists of every, every flavor, but these extremist organizations will be activated as the, as the ecology collapses to keep control over the population centers to ensure that the 500 million that survive will be docile and ready for for ruling by the elites when they come back. Hmm. It's very plausible. I, I was so. kind of I was kind of wondering how you're going to make that turn, that make that connection with uh, Gladio and the depopulation agenda. Yeah, I think I think that basically these guys are are ready and they're they're stocked up, they're well stocked, and and they're mm-hmm. waiting for to be activated. And when they are activated, they will rise up and and they will be the the hand that that controls the descent. Gotcha. Because inevitably, in a secret space program alternative three scenario, <clears throat> you can't move everybody. I mean, how many how many people could you logically move to Mars? Thousands, tens of thousands, mm-hmm. maybe tens of thousands, maybe. But the amount of airlift capacity to move ten thousand people is pretty significant. I mean, it's significant enough that you would have to start seeing the the good old triangles, right? You mm-hmm. know, flying through the sky every day. I mean, just think about the Berlin airlift. That that was to save one city. Mm-hmm. You know, and how many flights they were running flights like what every five minutes or something crazy, right? You know, so obviously these these ships that they're using are larger and they can carry more people, but you know, you have a seven forty seven that carries what three hundred people. Mm-hmm. It's like if you take something the size of a seven forty seven and use that to cart somebody to Mars, right? How many seven forty sevens do you need to airlift ten ten thousand people? You need a lot. Yeah, and it can be done over time. I don't think we're there yet because you're not seeing rich people start to vanish, mm-hmm. you know, and, and notable science scientists start to vanish. You know, when Neil deGrasse Tyson disappears, and you'll be like, oh, maybe we got a problem. Mm-hmm. But you know, inevitably, there's going to be a large group of people that's left behind. The kind of kind of B grade guys, and and I think the this kind of B tier guy, they're the administrators of the Earth while they wait for the big guys to come back. Mm-hmm. And and if you're going to do that, you need a, an ideologically motivated uh, police force. Right. Because if you have a police force that you pay, like mercenaries, mm-hmm. they, are, they are bound to the money. Right. And so you have to expend large amounts of money to keep these guys happy. Otherwise, they will turn on you. If they're ideologically motivated, then you don't have to spend a lot of money. It's much more cost effective because they're getting the fascist utopia that they dreamed of. They, they're they getting this kind of police state, this kind of structure that they wanted, they, this kind of situation where, you know, immigrants are, are not acceptable and, and, you know, blue people are not acceptable and orange people are not acceptable and people who are blonde are not acceptable. You know they can have that kind of kind of situation evolve, and they they will feel at home with it because that's what they always wanted, mm-hmm. right? You have a Nazi state where they were euthanizing, you know, people who had had uh, mental defects. They would euthanize them, right? Right. The, everybody knows they did that. You know they 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 sent they killed people because they didn't like what religion you were. They killed people because they didn't like. What nationality you were? They they kill people because they didn't like your your political ideology. They kill people for a lot of different reasons. They killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have that kind of a state, you need that police force. And that police force, I believe, is probably some is probably these cells that are left over from the Gladio era. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes a lot of sense, you know. 
It does. Like you said, carries over with their uh, ideology and this uh, coming new world order type of philosophy. So that's right. It seems like it would uh, come into play fairly easily. Exactly, and it explains why these guys went underground. It explains why, you know, all all research into it stopped. It explains why, you know, you see occasionally people like Brevik or or um, uh, Timothy McVeigh pop up. You, you know, you see these guys that occasionally pop up, where they they can no longer wait. That they they've become so politicized, they have to carry out the action. They have to do something to to as they perceive it change the world. Mm-hmm. They end up just pissing everybody off, and and making everybody hate them. But you know the reality is is that in their mind they believe that they're they're undertaking a global change, mm-hmm. right? And so you know you 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 see these elements pop up from time to time, which means that there are people out there that are politically ideologically motivated. And it would make sense to use them as as that kind of strong arm, kind of uh, stormtrooper mentality. It's like Star Wars, right? Yeah. You know, they ran out of clones, so yeah. then they then they started recruiting people and made them stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. So by the time you see a New Hope, some of the people under the stormtrooper helmets are clones. Some mm-hmm. of them, some of them are not. Mm-hmm. Same kind of scenario here, and and I think you'd see you'd see. Rad- radicalized people of all different flavors depending on where the cell is existing you would see radicalized people of a political or ideological persuasion for that area because the right. people that they're subjugating will have more can understand them better right and so that creates less resistance right but i think some of these so-called radicalized people could also be under mind control that's true. That's very true. They could be conditioned. Mm-hmm. Well, they fit. They fit a profile, right? So they they already have a certain type of ideology that they're looking for, and so yeah, they'll they kind of uh, twist here and uh, fine tune there, and uh, you know you can create pretty much any type of uh, person you want through systematic mind control. Well, I will say I will say that when Brevik was being tried, mm-hmm. you know, for being a guy who's who's facing the next twenty, thirty, forty years in prison, yeah, he was he was remarkably calm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and and in in many ways very distant. That oh, when yeah. you see him, he just sit there smiling, and it's like you're smi- You're going to go to prison, dude. You you killed a bunch of people. You're a bastard. But you know, he's like. I'm good. I'll sit in yeah. prison for twenty years. Yeah, he was even joking around with the, uh, the with the police when he went to you know go back to the island to show exactly what he did and stuff and oh, you know, yeah. you know, laughing, hey, you know. laughing, joking. Yeah, you know he he was joking with the lawyer. He was mm-hmm. drawing like pictures, I think, when he was in when he was being tried. Right. Like, very strange behavior for somebody who. Because, like, when you watch Vinica Guerra, Vinica Guerra is very much right. an ideologue. That he, right. he is 100% sold on the ideology. He is effectively using that Time Watch interview as a way to preach his ideology. Mm-hmm. Brevik wasn't like that. Brevik read his manifesto. You know, they found all the, all the photos of him. You know, and he just kind of sat there. He's like, yeah, I tripped over here. And, you know, I mean, it's very bizarre that he was joking around with them. You know, and it completely disassociated from what he had done. Because right. I like to think that, that humans in general, right, that everybody has has a level of compassion somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Right. Maybe not Hitler or Pol Pot, but, you know. Right. Well, I mean, if, if you're a psychopath, then you really you don't, don't have that empathy, so. Right. And, and it was obvious that he was a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And and a, a lot of these guys probably are you know have as, associative disorders, which is a hallmark of mind control. Yes. Very true. Well, that's all I've got. I think that about wraps it up for another exciting episode of the Paranoia Podcast. So 
as I always say, wherever you go, there you are. And take good care and keep the faith. All right. Till next week, we'll have another thrilling episode uh, very shortly. So thanks for listening. Uh, catch us on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash Paranoia Magazine. We're on Twitter, twitter.com slash uh, Paranoia Mag. Uh, check us out on Patreon. Sign up, support Paranoia Magazine, the Paranoia Podcast. And uh, by the way, one last thing, uh, big thanks to, to uh, Dean Hagelin. He sent me an awesome copy of his book, Broadway. Uh, everybody should go out and get that and see Clyde Lewis and Ron Patton at Contact in the Desert. June 3rd and 6th, Joshua Tree, California. All right, keep it real, guys. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme Fighting Trousers is by Professor Elemental ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo Host of Cinema Insomnia Watch new episodes on OSI 74 Visit us at OSI74.com We are resuming control for now.